This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by John Cook, who is the founder of Dataception. So, John, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, thanks very much for having me, Carl. It's oh. great to be on the call. No problem at all. Absolute pleasure is uh, is all ours. So, um, John, where we always start is by asking our guests to to give themselves a, a brief introduction into, I guess, their background and journey to date and how uh, how they've ended up at this point in time, if uh, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. So uh, I guess I'm sort of a, I'm a techie from, from way back. So I was doing kind of a virtual reality development back in the 90s, believe it or not. Um, and then obviously went through and built a lot of um, uh, platforms. A lot of, we had a lot of metastorinated middleware back in the late 90s, early 2000s for banks and that sort of stuff. And really started getting into sort of data platforms in the sort of the late, uh, sort of late 2009, 2010 when I was in banking and sort of when the whole Hadoop thing was was. Uh, was on the rise and um, you know, building risk platforms with you know, 200 terabytes worth of data and uh, um, for, for investment banks. And um, yeah, I went through that whole kind of pro- process of uh, big data and uh, actually managed to get a few of them to work, but you know, obviously got increasingly frustrated on uh, kind of how Hadoop was, how difficult it was to actually implement. And, um, and obviously, uh, you know, then went on to build, you know, build data practices in people like places like PwC and other consultancies, you know, delivering, you know, data transformation, data technology, you know, data governance, data architecture, and data strategy, and that type of stuff. And actually, just into Databricks, if you uh, you guys probably know, know those guys, which is an yep. absolutely fantastic company, a fantastic experience. And then, uh, yeah, then in uh, um, 2019, I decided to form my own company. And, um, you know, that's uh, now, I'm, you know, obviously out to, Doing doing the same similar sort of thing, but obviously with a with a new paradigm and a new a new a new approach and a, a new solution, which I think we're going to talk about. Yep, yep, we we certainly are looking uh, very much looking forward to it. So, tell us a little bit about Dataception. Then give us the the kind of high level overview on on what you guys exist to to do. Sure, sure. So really, it's about as I say, it's, it's trying to try to build this kind of data platform, data technology solutions to actually really accelerate um, data driven delivery, analytics, and data data type of products and data type type of applications and stuff. Um, and you know, we are we have a, we have a product which is uh, which you know we we can, we can talk about in a second, but also uh, you know down doing consulting, you know, helping clients and customers to actually really get the value of their data to implement these new kind of technology architectures like the data mesh and also the data fabric and um, and really help them as they monetize their data through these kind of new technology advances and operating model organization structures and stuff like that as well so yeah we are kind of sort of, the, sort of data data technology specialists so uh, yeah that's kind of what we do nice nice obviously as a business owner myself you know just that entrepreneurial spirit i guess always fascinates me when people take that that leap um what, why did you decide to start Dataception? What was the was there a kind of catalyst point in time where you know you thought right you know now and, and why? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really great question. I mean, I, over the last sort of 10, 15 years of building sort of 20 or 30 different data platforms, there was lots of conversations that I had with, with, with business owners, with technology leaders around, you know, kind of how you deliver a self-serve data infrastructure that really accelerates the business. And there's lots of great technologies out there. You know, the spaces, obviously, there's, there's loads of great things going on, like data rich, snowflake and other things around it. But there wasn't really a, a, a solution that really allowed business people and kind of, you know, there's non-real Uber technology people to actually deliver what, you know, data application, data products, you know. And I had many conversations with um, with business leaders. And I remember talking to a risk officer in, um, in, uh, in one of the banks. And he said, I want to be able to touch and feel the data. And it's like, well, what does that? me and that's a, you know he wasn't a technical person but it's like and it was 200 terabytes worth of data so we needed a lot of technology to actually help him do that and you know i've spent the last sort of 15 years trying to build those technologies with the existing tool sets you can't really do it in a truly truly self-serve way so dataception was really born to try and bring that kind of kind of business meets technology meets data well together in a way that these these types of people can actually then do, do their deliveries and actually do their day jobs on these large amounts of data sets nice so effectively, you're trying to bring a, a technological solution to the day-to-day users as opposed to a lot of the other tech out there that's built for data analytics teams to do their thing, right? Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, absolutely. A mixture, really. So obviously the classic data scientist and your, you know, your BI developer, that type of stuff, and also your data engineers, you know, the, to, to, to deliver the insight that they, they require, but also to bring in, bring in the other, you know, the, the little bit of forgotten people, the data analysts, <laughs> you know, the technical business people, the, uh, you know, the report writers, these, these, these sort of people into the, into the fold, which I think is something, you know, we, we see a lot in the industry around the data scientists and the data engineers, and it's all, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about these guys. And they are super important, but it's there is a wider ecosystem of, of data users and data developers that actually require quite a service. And I think, you know, one of the things we need to bring it through and through the mesh type architectures actually really get that self-serve piece going, going forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. So obviously the, the term data mesh is you know started to become its own buzzword now and and probably rightly so from from my kind of limited understanding john but kind of you know lay, lay it out for us what what is a data mesh yeah so a data mesh is really i mean if you take you boil it all the way down to the brass tacks it's fundamentally it's a it's an approach it's a it's a you know supporting technology supporting operating model reapproach of, of creating new data deliveries really and accelerating data deliveries you know fundamentally the you know the original papers that came from thoughtworks you know they, they detail a number of failure modes from existing kind of infrastructure approaches you know the, the central central lakes central data warehousing there's you know there's times for market for getting data onto them getting new technology onto them a load of other different failure modes, and the mesh is trying to address those particular problems. And it's you know, it's not just the technology itself. So how you, how you actually go build build um, these data analytics deliveries, how you actually organise your people, you know, who owns things, you know, kind of who actually is allowed to build them and actually onboard data and stuff. You know, trying to get away from this kind of sort of centralised. You know, let's get everything all in one place and then try and figure it out with a load of central centralised resources. And it's trying to move away from that to actually federate that kind of that, that delivery and that building to the business teams or they're closer to the business teams to get the ownership and you get the um the, uh, the 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 speed really around actually those sort of deliveries. But you know, without having to have it in a central central location right yeah makes makes sense okay so i guess what what are the major advantages of organizations now moving to that kind of mesh type of 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 infrastructure you know why should they be considering that as opposed to you know what they've been doing for the last however many years 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's not going to suit every organisation. I think, you know, for a lot of organisations use, use data warehouse and data lakes, you know, they use them, use them well and there's, there's not a huge amount of uplift from them. You know, I mean, fundamentally, it comes down to sort of two things, you know, two or three things. Fundamentally, do you have, you know, a lot of silo data still, you know, or do you have a, you know, a, a centralised infrastructure you can't get data in and out of? But it, actually, I say, fundamentally comes down to a couple of things. How quickly can you deliver your your, your pipelines, your dashboards, your, your data-oriented products? And how, you know, how can you roll out more capability, you know, double the amount you can do every year and there are different types of analytics so obviously when your ceo asks you for your you know a, a, a the, the impact of a particular marketing campaign can you do that in days rather than weeks and months and that type of stuff and that's and that's really what it kind of boils down to and there's a load of technical stuff underneath the mesh around interoperability and building products and stuff like this but really when it comes back to it that's what you're trying to do you know you know these big centralized infrastructures they they sometimes spend you know months and months and months to actually be able to deliver these things like what you know did, a, did some analysis and takes about three months to do an ai model from from scratch it takes about two months to do a dashboard and dashboards you should be able could be cracking over, you know, should take days and days and days, right? It shouldn't, it shouldn't be like months and months and months. So that's really what the mesh is, is trying to drive. And if you've got those sort of problems, then the mesh really is is um is for you. There is some obviously some organizational change I think we're going to get to in a minute around around that and kind of some things you need to think about around that. But fundamentally, if you have those kind of problems, then the mesh could be a good fit. Yeah. And this is just me thinking out loud, John. And um this is you know how I often end up in a lot of hot water when I do this. But um <laughs> is there are there certain types of companies that you tend to find the mesh works best for? And uh, I don't know whether that's by sector or size or scale, you know, is there, or is it being across the board? It just depends on how they're using and, you know, what they're getting out of their data. I think the first thing we're talking to talk about, really, we're in, we're in the first generation of mesh. So, you you know, we, we've got there are a lot of companies out there who build on JPMC, Zalando, Entity Media, these types of Intuit. They've got, and they've got their first generation of mesh. And they, and they are getting, obviously, a good uplift in terms of the value, speedier development of, of, of these things. So it's it's really, um, yeah, and they're across the board. They are they are sector agnostic. Largely. It's, it's Again, it's like it's, you know, what, what, what company benefits from a data like if you were to go 10 years ago, it'd be like well, any company's got, got the, the set of problems that a data like solves. It's the yeah, same yeah. thing with the people that, the, uh, the companies have got a set of problems that the data mesh solves that really is across the board and um, there's some debate whether it's a small company or a large company some people say small companies don't have that but interesting enough i'm working with a company at the moment who i'm doing a sort of data mesh type type uh, approach where we're doing these little data products and we'll talk about data products in a minute um and there are small there's more company 100 people right you know but they do have you know they're, they're getting massive uplift in terms of actually taking a mesh type approaches and actually delivering analytic solutions and, and data solutions using this thing using this using this approach so i think it, it you know, if, if you've got that kind of problem, you've got siloed data, you've got, um, you know, you've got, uh, or you've got central platforms, which are taking a long time to deliver stuff, then you could be a good uh, candidate for the mesh. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. So it's, it's basically organizations where data is potentially siloed, you have yeah. a mesh instead of a lake, which theoretically... Siloed or centralized, all, yeah, all in centralized one place, you yeah. know, they can't get out of, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, fine. And then the mesh really exists to help you provide solutions quicker than some of the more traditional um, if you'd say methods okay yeah. fine what what is the relationship like with data products well so there's a couple of really core things around um the mesh and i think it's this one of the, the first one really is around this, this concept of data product which is quite different from you know traditional centralized lake or, or warehouse and if you take this for warehousing you know, what you typically do is you etl stuff into a centralized schema 
their cross-business function, cross-use cross case. They're trying to solve multiple different things with the facts and dimensions. The product is trying to get away from that, saying, actually, you should define a delivery for a particular use case, not try and all put it into one amorphous kind of blob of a schema or, or centralized yeah. place. Have these cross-business use case pipelines as well. That's right. I've got a dashboard. Let's build a product just for that dashboard fundamentally. I've got a sales table. Let's just that as a product and actually surface that. So it's really that kind of encapsulation of you know that that particular use case that delivery and you know the original um uh paper talks about you know the data as a product i actually think it's you've got to go further than that you've got to go to the full delivery so not just the data it's got to be the model it's got to be the dashboard it's got to be the api the whole kind of the whole piece to keep in synchronization and keep the kind of the delivery going because obviously if you just deliver the data and the and the model gets out of sync or it gets under a different life cycle then you're 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 running it running a few issues around that but for me it's that, that that's that's the core that's the core of the product and, and what what the one of the one of the core things that data mesh actually supports right yeah makes makes sense so i guess when you're sat speaking to organizations that are considering this that have you know either heavily centralized data or quite sporadic um, siloed data it, when you're breaking it down for them what are really the key the key business benefits for you know the overarching business the users the stakeholders the people involved in in that process yeah like i said i try and bring it right back to kind of really simple business terms and for me it's about speed of delivery and and the amount of analytics and you know i tend to concentrate on the analytics rather more the operational side of it you know and the operational being like a transactional system i tend to take on the analytics it's the 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 breadth of analytics capability so how quickly can you get these out and change your mind and deliver these these, these things and also kind of you know if i want to you know do a graph model on, on basically looking at my my customer behavior or if i want to do a uh, you know a time series on something or i want to you know it's, it's can i actually add new types of simulation or new types of analytics quickly with the mesh rather than having to build something completely separate and go through all the kind of the process of building that infrastructure from scratch. So really those are the two things in my mind that I always talk about with, with, with customers around, you know, that's time to market and that breadth of capability and, and adoption that the, the business teams actually can do. Because, you know, I've seen many times I've talked to many customers saying we can't get any delivery of really any new things on the, on the, on the lake or the warehouse because it takes too long and there's lots of heavy engineering involved and we want to experiment. We want to try some stuff out we want to do it quickly and if you can't do those things then you know you need to be able to actually the mesh needs to be able to support and actually drive those particular metrics in my mind yeah yeah absolutely i pre presume does it kind of promote that whole experimentational type culture and those ad hoc little kind of questions that you know business leaders may have because i imagine that you know i'm sure there's a 101 things that they would love to know but you know if there's a a particular use case that they think well you know can we find that information out and when you you know engineer it backwards it's you know, actually it might take us three months and oh, no yeah. let's not bother them because I'll, I'll have forgotten about it by then absolutely so the, so the, the product concept allows that kind of encapsulation of a of a of a kind of a complete delivery. And that could be a piece of ad hoc analysis. And I think, to my mind, that the, the technology really gives a lot of the heavy lifting here. Um, you know, so basically, I can find the data really easily through a catalog. I can spin up a kind of a workspace with some analytics tools that I want to use on on, on cloud you know, um, infrastructure that's, that's that's not actually a part of the actual the production side of the mesh. So this is where the the the, the actual this of the technology pilot really comes into the foreground. This is something obviously we've built as well. So you know data scientists um you know, I, I hear this a lot from them. It's like I just want to I want to test the data before I actually do anything with it. I want to test if it's got the right statistical points on it, it's got the right outliers, all that kind of stuff and do data quality. But on the lake and warehouse before you could you'd have to onboard the whole thing, go through the whole onboarding journey before you could really do that. 
And so the idea of the mesh and from the technology side, it actually allows you to be able to actually do that without having you fully on board. And once you've, you know, once you've, you've looked at it and go, right, and now I'm going to build my product, and I want to publish that on that, that should all be through kind of a self-serve mechanism. So I think that's, the, the technology needs to do that, do that a lot of that heavy lifting for you. Yeah, yeah. D- does that kind of, or should theoretically that improve things like, you know, the the accuracy of projects and recommendations and insights, I guess, you know, if the data scientist is therefore able to quickly look at the data before they start to do things, I guess it, it you know, stops any projects yeah. from getting down the line and you're like, oh, actually, we probably shouldn't be running this. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a super, super good point. Really. It's, it's you know, it's that fail fast mentality. Can I try yeah. stuff out before I even get down into actually, you know, build, building my full pipelines and building that, that experimentation part of the, um, of the of the process and that's not not just data scientists you see it with dashboard de- deliveries as well you know a lot of analysts spend a lot of time trying to join data trying to work out if they can get the right level the right granularity from the actual data they've, they've got available to them and that can take a lot a lot a lot of time i spoke to one company and they have these sort of two month deliveries and four weeks was just understanding what the data is you know it's, so you want to be able to actually fail fast and be able to actually look at the data and, yeah. and the mesh approach really does facilitate that but they say the technology needs to do quite a bit of heavy lifting around, around that as well yeah yeah i mean the amount of conversations i have with data scientists that you know actually only do about 10 percent data science work because they're you know off the back doing a load of other stuff that they need to do just to be in a position yeah. to do some do some actual data science work is is scary right mm. absolutely i mean the model building is, is is a small part of it you know because it's, it's all about you know do i have the right can i find the right insight initially foundational insight to actually make my model make my hypothesis and that kind of stuff you know and the same with dashboards it's kind of find the right metrics kind of find the right foundation data for the metrics and stuff so yeah a lot of that kind of data archaeology i call it where you're going in sort of digging under 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 the old servers and brushing off data bits and saying is, is this actually the right piece of data that i need for, for what i want to do or, or not and then iterating around that's that is a large part of the part of the process yeah yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. What are the the kind of the major pitfalls to consider then? You know, if you're a business leader and you're thinking about putting a mesh in, what what's the kind of, you know, potential obstacles that you might encounter? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, the one that's really, really top of the most kind of the organizational change around that. And sometimes, you know, it, it can be quite big because obviously you want to see, you know, you want your business, business facing teams to really to, to be ownership owners of the of the products. And that's a, that's a key part, you know, the owners and the delivery pieces where you have lots of companies who have got these big central central, you know, capabilities, which are really good and stuff, but they are. They are, you know, the, the idea is that you're not using those to actually do the deliveries, or if you are, you're seconding them into your business teams and building out the business capabilities. So there are some organizational changes as well. And the other thing, one of the big things about the mesh, this whole domain-driven aspect of it as well, and sort of a domain, you know, being a kind of a, a business functional business area or you know, not, not necessarily a department. So sometimes, you know, most of the time, it's actually, organizations their departments aren't aligned to domain so you know it's like how do you map those two together or if you've got a, a department that crosses two domains and they're doing products who owns that that type of stuff so there's definitely an organizational aspect of this that really is the kind of the, 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 the more the question on everyone's lips at the moment rather than the actual mesh itself you know I'm, you know i've obviously delivered a mesh architecture from the concept and other people deliver architects as well but that's the, the the big question is that organizational change so i think that's probably the the, the biggest pitfall the for, for um you know for people to get started i think yeah yeah i mean and i think that's that's a that's a challenge across the industry in general yeah. right you know that whole 
yes, we can build whatever solution we want, but ultimately there needs to be some kind of cultural transformation occurring in most organizations that, you know, there's an element of change because unless these people are willing to adopt and use and implement, then yeah. it could be the best solution in the world, but, you know, it's not going to drive any value, right? So I think that's um, exactly, yeah. pretty consistent. Yeah, okay, fine. What about kind of specifics around team or structural organizational considerations i know you started speaking there around yeah. you know departments versus centralization and, and things like that but what about for you know if you were to split this into what this means for the data analytics capability and then yeah. what it means for the business how do you normally advise on, on that so the, the key thing for me is the whoever's actually building the analytics and onboarding the data and doing things needs to be really have a line of sight to the business and that really should be business accountability. And you know if you're going to be strict about it, you say right, this, you know, the, the central team is really just an engineering team that delivers the platform to the uh, to the business teams. You know, like a bit like you know, the, your cloud provider would, would deliver to your business. Yeah. Um, but obviously most organisations aren't have, aren't like that. They don't have like really you know high high levels of capability in the business functions themselves. Some companies do, but a lot of companies don't. So it's, for me, it's about making those teams, as they be accountable for the delivery from the business place. So the business owner owns the delivery, owns the capability. You know, I've seen this many times on lakes and stuff. There's, there's, there's something running. It's been built by the central team and no one, no one takes any accountability for it. It's like when it falls over and the central team gets blamed, not their fault, but the business don't, don't really take accountability. It's finding that basically that accountability. And the way, I, the way I'm advising a lot of customers who, who do have central teams, is this kind of this, this virtual team model where you actually, and it may be a transitional piece, but where you actually spin up a, you know, a, a pod of, we call them pods, you know, I call them pods of, of, of business users, you know, data analysts, um, the business business analysts, and we're essentially people from technology, and it's more like a like a, a, a center of practice, you know, rather than a center of excellence. And you know, they they own they own the delivery of it, but actually the cost center is the from the business, not from some central team fundamentally. So, you know, mm-hmm. the idea is that you are spinning up these four products, but it, it, the line of ownership goes directly to the business owner through 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 the cost center. You know, and that way you can actually still utilize your central teams and that stuff stuff. But you you're changing your operating model. So you are having these kind of these, these proper business focus, you know, organizational structures that are that are that are owned and, and run and, and funded by by the businesses themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then obviously makes it evidently obvious why that whole change piece needs to occur, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. And for, for, for most people, that's that's less of a change than basically, you know, re- completely reorganizing your central team. Because I think that you know, it's not it's, it's not fair, fair and not hugely realistic for large organizations to invested that to do that. And I, and I don't think it is actually necessary because I've, I've actually delivered you know, operating models like that for other large organizations where it had that kind of pool concept. And this worked, worked quite well. You need quite strong governance and you need, you know, and the other thing is, you know, those central teams also need to provide consultancy and kind of advice and kind of maybe some governance around what makes a good product, making sure that people call attributes the same thing in different products and stuff. <laughs> so you've got that yeah. kind of, you know, that interlock, interoperability between, between the products themselves. So they can actually definitely add a lot more a lot of value still without you know without the huge organizational change it's just it's more the way they actually operate rather than the actual the structure the little structural change and obviously over time that that could be federated out to the business teams but what you don't again want is those businesses to be completely autonomous and end up building completely the same things or, or again and again you know again and again so yeah there is a balance to be drawn around that and that that's that's that transitional piece that organizations mm-hmm. have to go through, I think. Yeah, yeah, interesting. What what is the relationship out of interest with things like you know the whole data management piece? Is there any difference than there would be if you know you're using a normal lake, or is it pretty much the same same thing? Yeah, so this is fascinating. I had, I had exactly the same conversation with a customer the other day. Actually, it's like you know um, there was a person with data, 
look, as head of data quality, it's like, you know, it's normally what you do in, in a lake of warehouse, you ETL or ELT the, the, the data into the central thing, and then you run all your data quality rules on them. And when they all break, you go back to the business owner and say, look, can you fix the data? And they go, well, you've, it's in your system now, you fix it. You know, there's, there's this backwards and forwards between yep. the two. Um, you know, and in the mesh world, uh, it gets it, it should get a bit simpler. I mean, there are some, some challenges around, and I, I differ slightly from the original concept where, Original contact is concept of ports where you basically have to, you know, you, you have a data product with these kind of almost like web service type data contracts between them, but you are copying data between them, between each of the, each of the things. So if you've got, you know, a, a sales table that, that might, the copies that might appear in different products, you know, I actually tend to think that virtualization is actually a much better idea there where you have a logical contract rather than a physical one. Exactly the same concept, but you're not actually physically copying the data unless, unless, unless you want to. So, you know, but then the whole data quality changes because actually what is data quality? It's not like, a, you know, we've got it as simple and then running to data quality rules. You're, you're basing it on a product by product basis. And data quality can actually be different for different products. So, you know, the, my, my example is, um, you know, a uh, investment banking where you've got a front office, you've got a risk department, you've got a finance department. They're looking at different things, different aspects of the data. So they actually might say, I want different data quality rules on, on, on each of those, maybe even the same data, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and that and that, that actually means you federate the data quality rules themselves to the people building the products rather than having a central team where it's like, these are all the data quality rules you want to do. You still need to have central governance say actually making sure they're consistent. You want a, a way of actually surfacing those in a central, you know, in a in a way that's, that's the same. You don't want data quality rules being defined one or one product completely different from another and that kind of stuff. Really. In my mind, the, the the ownership of those rules and the development of those rules, the logic, actually I go to the data product owners themselves rather than the, the central team. They've come again more kind of um, oversight, policy, and you know, consultancy really rather than actually definition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole quality piece, I mean, is, is a minefield at the best of times. I mean, I've had the the chief data officer of Morningstar on this podcast before speaking about data quality. Right. And uh, obviously they're, a, you know, do do all um, investment advice, basically. So their business is data. And, you yes. know, he was talking us through the the process that, you know, how they, um, how they label their terms because, you know, quality is subjective to different people and when it's centralized you know you, you you have one definition so by your rule book well that's right but to someone else they they understand it to mean something different so it's interesting that by having the variations that you can create on products that might make those little nuances slightly easier to to manage i guess yeah i mean they they become much more specific to the business the business process i mean it's, that's really what you know in my mind what data is it's about how does the data affects the business process and you know, bad data affect the business process and it could affect different business processes differently you know um so and it's really then down to the person who owns the business process to actually put the check the data's quality so again there's that ownership back again if you push it over to a central team and i've worked with data quality teams and these poor people have have a hell of a job trying to <laughs> build the kind of these, these set of rules when the business go well, actually uh, either i don't care or, or it's that's your job or uh, or another business go, actually i don't care about that well actually that's actually stopping data coming flying down to my system because you put that rule in place it's like we don't care about that rule we care about the data coming down yeah. and obviously in the um you know the data science world you know data quality is, is down to the kind of the um is you know obviously things like syntactic things checking email address and stuff is quite simple but suddenly you, know, you start pruning outliers and start pruning out data because the quality isn't there suddenly you might miss a valuable bit of insight for, for one model but not for another so in my mind the mesh really should enforce that put the data quality onto the data itself that for that particular use case and that business process and then you get the ownership back 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 to where it should be yeah yeah okay very interesting yeah 
what's the the kind of impact slash relationship with this whole um you know the concept around self-serve because that's something that we've talking about for a few years now and what does that mean and what are the impacts and you know how all that pieces together how does the the data mesh differ yeah, so the, the original concept doesn't talk. I mean, it talks a little bit about self serve, but uh, for me, this is this is this is really down to a couple of things. This is down to largely about around user experience, um, and you know, on the back of that is actually I say catering for a wider set of actors. Traditionally, data warehouses and data lakes cater for a very technical audience. You know, they're, they're the data engineer, your data warehouse, but your BI kind of um, expert SQL person. You know, that 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 type of resource. Where actually the mesh, if you're federating stuff out to the businesses, the businesses don't necessarily have very a lot of deep technical, and they shouldn't really. They're, they're too busy generating money and doing all the things that businesses <laughs> do. So, yeah. you know, that user experience around you know building those products. Um, should really be to the fore for a wide range of actors, you know, a wide range of, of, of types of users, you know. And also the other thing about the products, theoretically, it should be because they're more they're, they're simpler. You're not trying to build these really complex multi-use case pipelines or data model stuff. Actually, it should be a lot simpler for a, for a user to actually build a product. And that's something we're 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 looking at quite heavily. You know, being able to a business user to be able to build a product without a central team involvement, onboard data, you know, generate the product itself, publish them out, and then use them without actually having you know, or simple products. Obviously, you know, if it's a Excel spreadsheet and a dashboard and stuff like that, you know, it should be should be super simple. And I think the mesh really, because it's just a product orientation, should support that. And you know, that, I think that's a, that's a real key USP for it against a, a lake or a warehouse in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, it's a really interesting concept because there's so much debate in the industry around that whole mm. the notion of self-serve. And yeah. actually, if you relate it back to that whole change piece and the cultural transformation, you know, that sometimes it might feel like we're pulling teeth. So then to be asking people to be going in and trying to find this stuff themselves, but not only that, then make some kind of recommendation or you know but yeah. take an action off the back of that obviously i think that's where the the debate yeah. comes from is there is there any kind of anything different about a mesh as opposed to a lake or a warehouse as far as you know the, the whole insight to action piece or, or not really yeah no i think so i think absolutely i mean there's obviously you know the piece we've, we've done is actually bring that right bring the mesh concept right down to kind of the the the, the, the grassroots level and, and the way we've addressed that using the mesh taking the mesh concept a little bit further is as i say the first thing is basically you've got to have an end-to-end tooling tool set tool chain for the development you know and they say it can't just be the data it can't just be the model it can't just, you want the whole thing to be to be one one life cycle one kind of you know um, process and that includes going find those so the catalog's got to be part of it you know having a separate catalog for instance outside you know, i've seen this a lot where developers don't really go and use it too much unless it's unless the, the company spent a lot of time integrating it making it you know making it part of that whole process that's 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 the first thing the second thing is again that user experience you know, you know i've done it myself with, with our product was the first the first incarnation was like it's great you know, very technical user but a business person looked at me and i can't use that so it's you know for, for simple products and it's like i say not every product not every delivery is going to be a, a machine learning or deep learning model it's not going to be a you know a, a complicated pipeline to upload, upload a, um, a sub ledger you know, it could be a simple dashboard. I want to put my, my Excel sheet up there and just put a, put a simple visualization on it. You know, business person should be able to, should be able to do that fundamentally. Um, you know, and again, this is really where the architecture and the technology bit of the mesh and the user experience really does, as I say, does that heavy lifting. And it's and it is a key. I, I think uh, the mesh helps it. It doesn't have to be a mesh. I mean, you could put that on top of any data platform. To be fair, but the mesh, the fact that you're doing products, you know, and simpler products than actually centralized stuff, it actually should help facilitate that a lot better. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What's the, in terms of, you know, the building and creation of, of the mesh, 
what's the the kind of correlation with technology um and you know if, if there's a business business leaders out there listening to this thinking well it sounds like it could be of use you know where do we need to start from a tech standpoint and all of that type of stuff is there anything you know is there stuff out there that you can go and buy in or is this stuff that needs to be built to to kind of a profile type of thing so um, yeah, so typically there's, there's there's really only one avenue at the moment. There's, there's you know we obviously we are we are we're we building a data mesh product. Um, yeah, there's not much there's not many data mesh products in the market actually. I think I can only think of one off the top of their head other than ours. You know, well normally what companies do they they they're building it themselves and they're starting simple. They're, they're basically just you know they're cataloging data and building data products. You know, data sets effectively as products. That's kind of where most people start. Um, and they kind of you know, they, they they bolt on the catalog and they they you know they. they the engineer effectively the mesh from 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 ground up and there's a lot of great work on the you know the slack channel and stuff around building kind of standards between interoperability between products and stuff like that but that it's super early days on that you know we're, we're still working out kind of what this means and you know it's it's a classic it's not just the technology it's the people the process you know the, yep. the, the pieces as well but you know so fundamentally you know most organizations will will look and look to try, start trying to build that and obviously you know there is to get off the ground it's quite you can get quite quite far quite quickly but then obviously you run into kind of heavy engineering and it's really down to kind of how much you are a build versus buy shop <laughs> around that a lot of companies are you know the big companies like jpmc and you know these other companies and Solana stuff i've got a lot you know heavy engineering teams and they're very good at this sort of stuff and they build stuff like you know um they they will build it fundamentally they'll they'll, they'll just build the first generation because getting data and, and doing the data bit of it actually is the I won't say it's easy because nothing of this is easy, but it's the easier <laughs> part. You, once you yeah. start bringing in all the other, you know, the the models and this kind of stuff, that starts getting more more complicated, you know. But it's it's harder to retrofit that on top of something you've already built rather than think yeah. about it from from day one. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess you know this will be subjective to the organisation. This you know the scale and the the size and stuff. But are there are there kind of numbers out there in terms of cost implications as to to what you know in terms of well a cost implications of b time scales as to if you if you were to build it by yourself what that would cost versus if you were just to go and buy something well you can't buy something today i mean that's okay. i guess that's, that's the key thing you can't you, there's no you know obviously we are we'll be the first um, really or the first or second to um to deliver a kind of out of box data mesh solution or platform anyway you know obviously you need you need to do the organization bit of it and the kind of change bit of it as well as part of the whole data mesh approach but from a technology perspective you know whether you you know you can't buy can't buy anything at the moment apart from you know something like ours um so you, you're going to build it and that's really going to down to kind of where your developers are and kind of how much how far you go into it i mean you, you know you can talk to companies like you know, say like Intuit and deep media and um jpmc and stuff and how, how much it costs for them to build to build it themselves and again depending on how how much engineering how far they go down the line or that it's going to be you know uh, it's going to be different different metrics around that um you know so yeah, it's going to be, but you are you are looking at probably a six to nine month, I would guess, that sort of initial initial piece to get the first pieces off the ground. Mm. Yeah, interesting. If companies did want to go about building this themselves, as opposed to you know, I guess um, working with someone like you, yourself, John, what type of skill sets do they need internally from a talent standpoint? 
Sure. So actually, so the build it, you're talking about you're talking, you know, d- developers who build data platforms fundamentally. Yep. You know, it's, 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 it's a coding thing where you're, you know, even when you're 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 using third-party tools like Databricks or Snowflake or whatever as part of the kind of the query layer stuff like that, you're still bolting stuff together, you're still bolting on the catalog, that type of stuff. So it's really it's 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 engineering skills really around that. People who've built data platforms, you know, before and to make to make it all, the whole seamless piece together. And then obviously, and if you're building nice user interfaces, user, you know, you're talking about user experience and 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 that kind of you know, the web devs and all that type of stuff um, for those sort of people. But that, that's typically the types of teams that you, you'd need to, to, to build this. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Okay, so I guess if we take this right back to its roots then and we're kind of to, to kind of ask the question of how does a data mesh add commercial value to an organization, I guess that's not going to be much different to how you know, organizations commercialize value out of their data other ways. It just might make it quicker. Is that fair to say? Or, yeah. or is there, a, you know, is there, a, is there anything else to that? It makes it quicker, cheaper, and lower risk. I mean, those are the three things, right? So, yeah. you, you're, you know, theoretically, you're, you're, you're delivering your products a lot quicker because you're, you know, it's, it's owned by the business. You're not doing all this backwards and forwards and this kind of, you know, all the orthogonal tasks you need to do to actually, when you're, when you're, when you're using centralized infrastructure, it should be, should be um, cheaper to run because it's, you know, it's, um, you know, you don't need lots of engineering. Once once it's there, you don't need lots of engineering or theoretically lots of engineering teams to actually be able to do it. You know, to run it, run it like a, a big, uh, some some of the late implementations out there, and you're de-risking because you're failing fast, and you're you know you're you're, you're having use cases that are specific to your products, your you know to your your business deliveries, and they're aligned to those business deliveries. So you end up with more products, but they're actually they're simpler and they're aligned to business. So you can you can turn them around faster. You can you know experiment more. You you, you can actually maximize the business opportunity more. That's that's the kind of way I see it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Have there been any, I guess, like major use cases? I know you you touched upon Zalando, who uh, yep. I think from my research have done something fairly sizable in, in yep. this space. Is that kind of one of the, the, the key highlights for people to check out? I think so, yeah. I mean, there's Intuit, there's um, Media, there's JPM, you know, JP Morgan, they've, they've built most, and there's lots of, you know, lots yeah. of good success stories of people who have actually been on these journeys um, and actually got you know got got tangible benefit around delivery you know delivery times and that type of stuff as well. So yeah, there's there's you know, so there's, a, there's a number of them. There's twenty or thirty of them. You know yeah. of, uh, of of good stories around there. So right. interesting. Yeah. So I guess as we try and you know wrap this up, then John, I guess for for organisations that are wanting to do this, what are your kind of you know three or four pieces of advice in terms of what they should be thinking about as to a whether this is the right thing for them, and then b you know what what should they do from this point yeah so i, I guess the first the first couple of things really going to you know what's the size of their problem right fundamentally in terms of actually you know the they're delivering these types of you know these types of um deliveries you know um data deliveries type things um you know what's the size of that can they go to a product model can they actually really get to the point where the business teams are, is that is a how much of a seismic shift from what they do today to, to doing that you know and obviously we talked about some some techniques and some transitional pieces around there so that that's that's those are the first two big things in my mind is you know um you know and if they were to this product this product delivery type and domain orientated thing are they going to get that significant uplift you know is is the delta actually quite different you know are, are, there, are the bits of the business really stalling you know, do they have siloed data? Do they, you know, are, are they taking, you know, taking a long time to get stuff on out their lake? And you know, is how much how much pain actually is there there to do that? Because like I said, it is a quite quite a shift 
with that. You know, if they've just embarked on a um, you know a whole technology strategy and built their whole, bought all their tooling, are they you know what's their view around? Do they want to change that or um, you know can they change that and stuff? So those are kind of the, the sort of the, the, the macro level things that I would I would be thinking about. Um, now obviously there's lots of you know there's lots of papers out there for people who have actually been on this journey. So lots of lots of customers, lots of companies who have gone through this. So they're not alone. It's not like they're, they're completely bleeding edge. Obviously they can talk to people like myself, and there's other people in the industry who are you know who are who've done this sort of thing before say I'm working with an organization at the moment who's putting this in place at the moment and they're a small organization as well so it's um you know it's not just the big the big guys that that, that can really benefit from this in my view anyway um you know and I say there's lots of um you know, people out there who, who are who are advising on this as well it's obviously thought works as well because obviously you coined the term um, and they talk to a lot of organizations. They know what works and what doesn't as well. So, yeah, yeah, fair enough. I guess I know that you've um, talked about, you mentioned the Slack group, and I know we spoke yep. about that a little bit offline. If there's people that are interested in learning more, how do they? Find out about that. Getting involved. Well, so yeah, so there's. Uh, we, we, um, we'll probably post the um, the the Slack group um, uh, link. Um, it's by Scott Holliman. He's actually he's, he's, he runs that. Obviously, if not, just reach out to me, and I can I can I can forward on you know that type of stuff. Yeah. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or. Yeah, I'm quite quite prominent on there, so you should be able to find yep. it. Okay, <laughs> good. You you answered my next question, which was going to be if there's people out there that kind of want to know more about this, or you know, interested in speaking with you about how you can possibly work together. LinkedIn is that the best way? Yeah, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, or, or John Cook at uh, dataception.com. You know, John J O N C W O K E at dataception.com. Just just ping me an email or, or find me on LinkedIn. So I'm pretty pretty prominent on there. Yeah, just do data mesh and, uh, and, and John, and you can find me. Yeah, yeah find just reach out to me that, that way. Perfect, well, John. Look. Really appreciate your time. A fascinating conversation. I'm sure a lot of people will find this really useful because, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's becoming the the hot topic and the buzzword now. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll get a, get a lot of engagement on this, I'm sure. So yeah, we uh, appreciate your time and all the best and look forward with the, the the new platform that you're about to launch. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Carl. Thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. No problem. Speak to you soon. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.